0: If we compare the Swedish and Italian response, we can see two extremes.
1: Hi, this is Eric Bagley in the Rocket FM Studios in Stockholm, Sweden, home of The Herd. Time now for Episode 9 of Corona Crisis, Once Upon a Pandemic. Coming up a little bit later on in the show, we'll be talking to Professor Giuliano DiValdasade, Director of the Center of Natural Hazards and Disaster Sciences here in Sweden. We'll be talking to Giuliano about some comparisons uh, between Italy and Sweden. He's from Italy, but lives in Sweden, so he'll get some great insights on that, these two very iconic cases of the uh, coronavirus. Sweden being the place where herd immunity is is the uh, de facto strategy, or so it seems. Italy being the place that was most hard hit. Okay, on the phone line, we have Mark Vandenbosch. So Mark, one of the things I think that really characterizes this uh, crisis is this feeling of ambiguity. What's really going on? How we should behave? This touches us to some extent as well. Uh, last night, we uh, were scheduled to have one of our live music events, one of our little side gigs arranging live music here in Stockholm. And uh, to me, it was just no question that uh, we should cancel tonight. But it seems like some of our partners thought that we should have done it. So even here in Stockholm, there is uh, even where there's a, a relatively relaxed approach to this, there is I think very different understandings on what we should actually be doing with our day-to-day life.
2: No question about it. Other anecdotal evidence around us, once again, yesterday walking around my part of town and it was a sushi place and it was jammed, packed with people lined up outside. And that particular place and the people in it apparently have not gotten the message or don't seem to be concerned at all. And yet you just walk a little further down and you see other places, other establishments that are following the guidelines very strictly and making sure there's a great deal of separation between tables and following the party line, so to speak. There's a great dichotomy. People are in different camps. And I think that is sort of the danger in some level of delegating responsibility to individuals. And we all deal with that responsibility very differently. So this Swedish experiment that's ongoing, time will tell. But looking at the statistics again, I have a chart in front of me right now. Statistics, of course, can say a great many things. But this particular one is based on the number of fatalities per million people per day. Right now, we're still one of the countries that is tracking the highest in the world. So, you know, we'll see how this progresses, but it's us and Belgium, basically, almost neck to neck. And Belgium, of course, is a catastrophe.
1: And Giuliano, a little bit later on in the episode, talks a bit about uh, looking at the data and interpreting data and making uh, conclusions based on that. So we'll get a little deeper into that. But I think this personal responsibility aspect, Mark, is certainly one of the keys to Sweden. It's one of the uh, pillars of the Swedish uh, approach to dealing with the coronavirus crisis. And in some ways, like you mentioned, people don't seem to be taking it as seriously as they should. Uh, restaurants, also my neighborhood, uh, jam-packed. In other senses, though, one thing I was very impressed by was last weekend, during the long Easter weekend, uh, the authorities advised those of us living here in Stockholm not to leave the city because they don't want us to spread the uh, the virus to other parts of Sweden that are less affected at this point. And I thought, you know, I was weighing my options, whether I should go to some more vacation uh, destination here in Sweden, drive there. And uh, I decided not to. And I think, am I going to be the only sucker that, <laughs> that actually listens to what the authorities say and, and stays in Stockholm during this long weekend? But then it turns Out that a very high percentage of Stockholmers. did, in fact, stay in Stockholm, did not go to places like Gotland and Erland and the west coast of Sweden. I think it was something like 96% less um, trips to those uh, destinations than in previous years. So I think that Swedes in some senses are taking this quite seriously.
2: What you're saying is accurate, but at the same time it, it's a lot easier to sacrifice sitting in a car for 10 hours than it is to just walk down the, in the street uh, two minutes and go into your local sushi place. So I think that people are willing to make certain sacrifices at the same time as Stockholm residents, you know that people will be staring at <laughs> you if you up in a country uh, resort somewhere Uh, your accent your your car will uh, reveal your origins here and uh, you would not be very welcome so i think that's also one of the contributing factors to people staying at home
1: not only here in sweden i think in other parts of the world this is this is a controversy as well i I spent a lot of time in uh, cape cod and uh, there's a petition going around at the moment or at least there was uh, they wanted to close the bridges there's Two bridges that uh, provide access to Cape Cod, and a lot of the year-round residents wanted to uh, just shut down Cape Cod, close the bridges, barricade the bridges, them up. yeah, to prevent uh, New Yorkers from from escaping to their vacation homes in Cape Cod. So it, I think it's a story that's being played out all over the world. One thing that uh, I think might be a bit of a tipping point here in Sweden, Mark, uh, and this is just the the story of one individual, but it shows that uh, things like that can actually affect people's uh, thinking, and decisions, and, and emotions on. Issues like this, and that's uh, the death of the uh, Swedish celebrity Adam Alsing a couple of days ago. Caught me by complete surprise. I was quite shocked when I saw it on the news. He's uh, he's only 51 years old. He's a bit of a... Jay Leno type of uh, figure here in Sweden. I think that actually really was a wake-up call to a lot of people, especially since uh, when a 51-year-old celebrity dies. I think that really um, really hit people pretty hard here in this country.
2: Absolutely. And now I thought we maybe get into the lighter side of things or more positive news. There's the thing about Corona, of course, it's overwhelmed everything. I mean, for some reason, it's almost as though global warming is no longer an issue. Bushfires in Australia have disappeared. Brexit, once upon a time, seemed so important to the world. They just magically disappeared, which, of course, is not the case. But one of the things that has disappeared is professional sports, with a minor exception because we talked about the Belarus football league. But perhaps more important, at least to me personally, is baseball. And uh, yesterday, the season of the baseball league in Taiwan, respected league, actually got going. So they had their first televised baseball games yesterday in empty stadiums with robots playing the drums in the stands and carton cutouts of fans <laughs> to sort of give a little ambiance to the whole thing. And these games were actually brought podcasted for free all over the world in English. It's interesting, so I'm going to be watching that. Other things that have taken place over the last few days is that apparently this crisis has gotten an official name. Back in the late 1920s and 29, there was the big crash, the Great Depression, and this time period apparently has been baptized, the Great Confinement. What do you think of that?
1: The Great Confinement. (laughs) I don't think that'll go down as the name for this, but I think that's a good description of it. I think that we can roll with that a little bit, but I don't think the history books will write this as the great confinement,
2: but not bad. Some of the other candidates apparently was uh, the great freeze, the great catastrophe, the great debacle. It's always the great something. Of course, this particular baptism, if you will, comes courtesy of Jita Gopina, who is one of the chief economists from the international monetary fund. We'll see how this uh, plays out.
1: This will certainly be an event that shapes the lives of uh, people that live through this. And uh, this will be a story for the ages as, uh, The intro music of this podcast that, uh, Mark, we haven't uh, given you proper credit for that yet. That's a song that you've composed. I think that's uh, that's kind of what we're trying to do here with this podcast is put this in a a present moment, but also to look at this as something that'll be a a story told for many decades, many centuries, perhaps. Now time for uh, Professor Giuliano Di Baldessari, Director of the Center for Natural Hazards and Disaster Sciences, starting by uh, talking a bit about uh, natural hazards and how we can perhaps understand this current uh, pandemic crisis as a natural hazard or not. Here's Giuliano Di Baldessari here on Corona Crisis Once Upon a Pandemic.
0: When we speak about natural hazards, actually, over the past few years, we have been uh, criticizing a little bit the term since uh, most of the disasters are no longer 100% natural. This applies to, for instance, uh, many floods, droughts, or wildfires. Especially when it comes to a disaster, there is a combination between hazard and vulnerability, uh, which is often a social vulnerability or economic vulnerability. This indeed also applies to the epidemics or the pandemic of the corona crisis. What we see most vulnerable people that are suffering. Suffering the most. Uh, We see emergence of inequalities and also the role of uh, risk perception. So in the Anthropocene, uh, it's difficult to speak about something which is 100% natural. There is always an anthropogenic component. This is also the case uh, when it comes to the corona crisis.
1: So how does that inform the management of this, uh, knowing these things like the vulnerabilities and the the
0: inequalities and the sort of Anthropocene perspective? From my point of view, the key point is to keep the big picture. I will make an example by going a few years back. After the 9-11, there has been a lot of focus on terrorism, while other aspects have been overlooked. One of them is air pollution, climate change, natural hazards such as earthquakes, floods, droughts. All these aspects, all of them, they kill much more people than terrorists, but they didn't get the same attention that we had with terrorism after the 9-11. There are many studies that explain this. Behavioral scientists have done a lot of research showing how risk perception shapes our response to different type of extreme events, being the n- natural hazards or Uh, human induced events and uh, uh, what the research has shown that we tend to overreact uh, when we have extreme events especially if they are unexpected and they have a strong impact. Uh, so this was the case of the 9-11, and this could be the case of the corona crisis. This is what some people speak about, black swan. And our typical reaction is that on the one hand, we try to rationalize them, uh, but also there is a tendency to overreact.
1: Some have said that the reaction in Sweden is a bit of an underreaction, that Sweden has not taken this seriously enough. Uh, but from what you say, that some countries, perhaps you're implying that some countries have overreacted to something like the uh, coronavirus crisis. I'm not sure you, perhaps you can explain that a little further. But uh, you're from Italy, and uh, you live in Sweden these days, so I think it's a great uh, opportunity 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 to make some comparisons between these two iconic cases of responding to the uh, coronavirus uh, pandemic. Italy being very much, it seems, caught off guard, uh, not taking strict enough measurements early on. So it's become kind of the case, uh, sort of the worst case scenario. Sweden, it's taken a different pathway in responding to this crisis. So perhaps, Giuliano, from your perspective, from your research, but also from your lived experience being from Italy, following the developments there, but living here in Sweden and and being uh, witnessing firsthand what's happening here in Sweden, perhaps you can give us some insights and some, some comparisons on how this coronavirus is being treated in these two countries?
0: If we compare the Swedish and Italian response, we can see two extremes uh, type of responses, which may imply that there is a different strategy. From my point of view, I would like to start from the similarities. And what I see that there is a common goal in both Sweden and Italy. The common goal is to flatten the curve so that the health systems can uh, absorb and deal with it. What happened in uh, northern Italy, especially in Lombardy, is that the spreading of the virus was unexpected and much larger at the end of February. And this has forced local governments and later also the national government to take very strict measures. The differences that we see in uh, terms of actual policies, they mainly reflect the differences in terms of different phases of the virus, but also a different spreading of it. Uh, in Italy, was really sudden, unexpected. Strong measures had to be taken. We should also consider that we have very different context. There is a different cultural context. In Sweden, there will be more resistance to hard measures. Uh, there is a longer tradition of liberal approach. There are recommendations and there is a lot of trust of formal and informal institutions on people and also trust of people on institutions. Moreover, uh, also the demography is different. Here in Sweden, there is a large population of children. Closing the school would have an enormous effect. On the other hand, in Italy there is a very large proportion of old people which are very vulnerable to this type of crisis, as we know. Lastly, uh, there is a very different baseline in terms of social isolation. Many expats or colleagues often complain that uh, in Sweden uh, it's very difficult to get close to people. Uh, Maybe this doesn't apply to Stockholm so much, but in many other parts of the country, it is true that if you go outside, it's very difficult to uh, bump into another person or get very close. I'm originally from Italy and I know that this is very different. Even in small towns, typically we hug each other, we kiss, we are very close to each other. So definitely you need stronger measures if you want to flatten the curve. So the way I see it is that the strategy is the same but the measures are different because the context is different.
1: And given these different cultures and uh, demographic and almost geographic context, do you think the response has been appropriate in each of these two places? Can you perhaps critique and sort of point out what has been uh, some of the strong points of the respective
0: responses? First of all, I would like to say that I'm very positive with uh, both responses, the Swedish response and the Italian response in uh, the respective context. Some of the things could have been done better, but there are also some uh, legal constraints that stop uh, from uh, taking certain measures in Sweden because of a different Different levels of power that the government has, and uh, on the other side, when it comes to Italy, uh, one could speculate that uh, at the very beginning, uh, when um, at the end of February, something more could have been done in the system. But we must not forget that this was the very first place in Europe where we could see it. so. This is like what we discussed before with the black swan. This type of unexpected events, anytime they are different, we think we learn, but then they keep on occurring. This was the case of the 9-11, and there was a lot of speculation about we could have prevented it, but I'm not so sure about it.
1: I mean, describing this as a black swan in perhaps in an international context, but also specifically in Italy, is there any speculation as to why it emerged in Italy so suddenly and so
0: strongly? Uh, one of the first cases which emerged in Italy was this guy, 30 years old, running marathons, playing football, and all of a sudden he had pneumonia. He went to a couple of hospitals. They didn't know what it was. And then eventually they thought, oh, maybe this corona. Then they tested it was corona. And then they realized that corona was going around in the region. In Italy, it emerged, it was spot, and then you start testing. And once you start testing, then you find out that indeed there are cases. In other places, they have been testing only strongly based on geographical origin. But in fact, a spreading was already in place a few days or weeks before.
1: How is Italy processing this from a societal perspective? Is this something that now will fundamentally change Italian culture, the way Italians relate with each other, how Italy, you think, might relate with the European Union, with the wider world? Do you see any longer-lasting implications uh, as a result of this crisis?
0: Many people over the years in Italy have been exercising how to live with emergencies and crises. It is a country exposed to multiple natural hazards, uh, for instance, which is my field of expertise: earthquakes floods, droughts, wildfires, volcano eruptions, even tsunami in some areas. In Italy, there is all of this. So there is, in my opinion, a, a strong resilience of individuals as well as communities to live during emergencies. We can see this very nicely right now. I'm actually very concerned about when I think about my parents, my friends, my relatives that are locked down. Well, it depends on where they live, but already at least a month they will be locked down at least until the 3rd of May. I'm very concerned about them, but I could see that they actually are not getting crazy. I think that the same measure in other places would have been much more stressful. There is this kind of okay, now we have these emergencies, we have to deal with it, let's do our best. I'm more concerned if this would continue for a very long period, because then it's no longer a short-term emergency, then it will become more a long-term emergency.
1: Some of these trade-offs that are now being discussed uh, very openly uh, in the United States, and probably every country that is uh, dealing with uh, COVID-19, the, uh, the the human cost, the, the cost in lives and illness versus the economic cost, which also have social and and health-related implications as well. How is that uh, discussion being taken in Italy?
0: Um, First of all, let me say a little bit about this trade-off. When I knew that I was about to be interviewed for the podcast, I thought that my key message would be that it is all about trade-off. And actually, it's not something that I am saying. If we look into the World Health Organization, WHO, the definition of health is that health is a state of complete physical, mental, and social well-being and not merely the absence of disease. So my feeling is that the issue with prolonged lockdown is that there could be too much focus on reducing the virus while not considering physical, mental, and social well-being. This also comes with a point about keeping the big picture. With lockdowns, which could be needed. And indeed, they were needed in the first phase in Italy. But what we have is that we have many children that cannot play with other children, not having their right to education and also inequality, because maybe some kids, they have parents that are educated so they can get a decent education also at home, uh, but others cannot. And then we have many other issues, which are indeed also health related. We know that poverty, unemployment is not only an economical issue. It may lead to mental problems and all this mental and social well-being, the foundation of public health, as WHO defines it. When it comes to Italy, I don't see this type of discussion yet there. At the moment, the decision-making process is dominated by virologists and epidemiologists. The typical response is that they are just caring about the economy. It seems like there is a kind of bipolar discussion, like as if it was just the interest of rich people to have the economy keep on going, and all the others being to care for the public health. And this is a little bit, bit frustrating from my perspective right now because I don't see an holistic discussion about this, but don't like, okay, you want to save life or you want to save the economy? You want to die rich? this kind of discussion. So right now, it seems that the priority on reducing the on reducing the spreading of the virus is so strong that it's very difficult to argue against.
1: You think Sweden has found some sort of middle way in this uh, trade-off debate? It's kind of a little bit of a lockdown, but not really. Some things are closed, some things are not. People are dying at a high rate. I, I don't think we can uh, ignore that, that the death toll here per capita is not low by any means, but life goes on. Not as normal, certainly not as normal, but not that far off from what you might expect compared to other countries.
0: It seems to me that there is a broader uh, discussion. So indeed, yes, I think that in Sweden uh, there is more open discussion about the economic consequences of different type of measures. Partly also when it comes to the education and also the fact that children uh, should be allowed to go to school, to play with other kids, to, to study. There is more attention to other type of rights. And I think this comes back also to the different type of context. As I said before, in Italy, we have a large proportion of old people. In Sweden, we have many kids. This, I think, it plays a role. If you think about the type of measures you can do, it's maybe something which goes towards favouring more younger people or kids that can go to school, that can keep on having their own life, because from their perspective, the individual risk is very low. Also, the type of economy is different. The, for instance, the private saving in Italy is relatively high compared to Sweden. But this means also that locking down the economy would have a very strong impact on the Swedish people. The public debt in Sweden is much lower than in Italy, but the private debt is much higher. So people have to pay their loan, they have to pay their mortgage. This also makes the government and the decision makers to care more about the fact that we need the economy to keep on going. Otherwise, we have too many people that would get bankrupt.
1: I think it's a very interesting uh, comparison between these two societies, and you're very well positioned to make these comparisons, uh, Giuliano. Uh, one last question uh, touching upon another area of your expertise about data analysis. Now, data is certainly a huge part of this of this crisis. Analyzing data and using that as a tool to take certain actions could perhaps give us your perspective on that in terms of the numbers that are being floated around and the models that are that are being used to make these decisions.
0: So, what we, for instance, in our research, we use a lot of data related to the number of people affected by different natural hazards fatalities economic losses, and we also use a lot of models. And what I can see in our research is that sometimes there is an abuse of this type of data sets, and the type of abuse is due to the fact that data from different countries are not comparable, the definition is different, and uh, if you want to be more specific for the corona crisis, we see like the comparison in terms of number of cases, but we know that this strongly depends on how much we are testing. There are uh, many experts that speak about the fact that the number of cases are are much more than the ones that are confirmed or reported. The question is, is it 10 times more or 100 times more? And here there is a debate. But still, even if we know that essentially we are speaking about numbers that should be multiplied by something like 4 or 100, uh, we keep on making comparison on number of cases. Or another thing is the fatalities. Here there have been uh, many experts showing that, in fact, there is not a unique way to identify fatalities caused by COVID-19. Different countries use different approaches in considering those fatalities. In some cases, you have people that died because of the coronavirus. But in other cases, the coronavirus was one of the reasons. Or in other cases, it was not even the primary one. They died and then they were tested that they had a coronavirus. So one thing is to die from COVID-19, another thing is to die with COVID-19. And at the moment, we don't have this type of information. We are comparing using these numbers, even if they refer to different type of fatalities. Lastly is the timing. Sometimes you see this curve, which I put one next to another, but the starting point is very subjective sometimes they use like, okay, the first fatality, but this could be maybe one week before just because of random occurrences. We also see things like per capita. This also, from my perspective, doesn't make any sense. I mean, what is the per capita? If we look, for instance, at cases in Italy, but the same applies to to Sweden. What is the point of dividing the entire number of cases by the Italian population, when most of the spreading is in, uh, in Lombardy? And the same is in Sweden. I mean, it's different if you look at Stockholm or if you look at Sweden as a whole. It is always good to have this type of information, but there has been a little bit of overuse of this data and also extrapolations based on them. One could use other type of information uh, when it comes to this specific type of crisis. I mean, many countries actually, especially when it comes to epidemiology, uh, they they are looking more and more towards the number of people that are on intensive care because of COVID-19, which could be a a better indicator to give you an idea of how the virus is spreading, especially considering that we all have the goal of flattening the curve so that the health system doesn't collapse, and indeed the collapse of a health system is strongly related to the limited amount of intensive care units and ventilators. That is maybe the most interesting variable, but when we look into global comparison, very rarely we refer to that.
1: Professor Giuliano Baldessari, thank you very much. Director of the Center for Natural Hazards and Disaster Science here in Sweden. Thank you very much for joining us here on Corona crisis once upon a pandemic.